I encourage you to be following along in your Bible, reading these chapters and rereading them and seeing what God was doing. But this morning, as I said, we're going to talk about uh, two full chapters. We're not going to read them all, but we are going to read some parts. And so we're talking this morning about how the gospel advances. And it advances, as we've read so far, it advances through hardships and trials and stonings and beheadings. Who's excited? Right? I mean, these are these things that we've been seeing happening, but it also advances through healings and preaching and miracles. It, it, it advances through people uh, committing themselves to ministry, and that's what we're seeing with the, uh, the disciples and the apostles. And the truth is the gospel cannot be stopped. It will not be stopped. God has a plan, and his plans are never thwarted. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And w- nothing, nothing, nothing can stop that end goal. And one day he's coming back again. Um, the world has tried to stop the gospel from going forward since before it began. The, the Jews have been, been uh, they were persecuted and shipped out so many times. Jesus, before he was born, they tried to kill him. When, he, when they couldn't find him and kill him before they had all the two-year-olds killed, the gospel cannot be stopped. Death could not stop Jesus. When they finally got a hold of Jesus, which he willingly gave himself for, and they crucified him, they put him in the, st- in the tomb, and the tomb couldn't hold him. The gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel has to and will and needs to advance. What is the gospel? It's the good news. Remember, the word gospel is just simply means good news, and it's a good story. It's not a story of, of us having to serve some mean God. It's the story of Christ dying for us. Uh, Hebrews 12.2 tells us this, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, joy, joy, Who's ever gone in for any type of surgery and says, I can't wait to have this surgery? It's joy. Who's ever gone into anything where you know you're going to get beat up and says, I can't wait to get beat up? But Jesus said, for the joy set before him endured the cross, and not just the cross, but despising the shame because there was shame connected with the cross. Today, people put shame on, on Christians and on the cross of Christ. You should be ashamed of yourself for having these uh, horrible views that certain people can't inherit the kingdom of God. You're judging me. You should be ashamed of yourself. He despised the shame of the cross, endured it in joy so that he could sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He overcame death so we don't have to die. Is that good news this morning? And that is the best news. He, he, he overcame death so we could die, so that we wouldn't have to die, so we could also be set free from sin and death. He didn't just come to give us a better life. He came to set you free from sin. If you're not free from sin, turn to Jesus. He wants to set you free in this world, in this life. He wants to break the chains. That is part of the gospel. It's the good news. And then he wants us to live together with him in paradise forever. 
And that is amazing. And that gospel isn't just for you and me this morning, but it's for the whole world, for all who are far off who would believe, for everyone who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus. This good news is the gospel of Jesus. And it's what those in the first century died for. It's what Jesus died for. And that's what we're studying in the book of Acts. And I tell you, it's for all who believe in him, who confess their sins, repent, and turn and follow Jesus. And I think that's good news. Amen, amen. And it's exciting. This gospel cannot, will not be stopped. You know, Rome tried to stop it. You know, they persecuted Christians. They, they, they in 70, they went and began to, to um, they, they, you know, tore down the entire temple um, and they couldn't do it. Muslims have tried to stop it over the years. Today, atheists are trying to stop the gospel from advancing. It's happening in secular humanism. It's happening even at governmental levels. Nothing will stop the gospel. In fact, I believe as times get harder and harder and more persecuted in this nation, the church will need to and will, it will rise up more and more and I think the gospel will actually begin to pro be proclaimed even stronger than it has because all around the world where there's persecution the gospel is expanding and growing in fact I think we're we're safer than most any other nation on earth safe safe from almost any type of attack even with the riots going on even with things going on I still believe we're a safe nation we're safe physically but we're not safe spiritually because I think we're one of the most dangerous spiritually nations because we're so apathetic in this country we've we've been lulled asleep and I think our Christianity our belief system uh, we're spiritually threatened more than anyone and that's why we we want to stir up our hearts, stir one another up to follow him, to be those who would really follow the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not for a better life today. It's to be set free from sin and to live forever in heaven. Amen. I can tell I'm going to need some water this morning. If somebody would run. Okay, Josh, thank you so much. Um, praise God. God gave me a healing this week from my, my cold, and thank you for all your prayers. So, you know, in fact, in fact, it cannot be stopped so much. History tells us that by 351 A.D., and I wanted to get a, a map of this, and I, and I didn't, but if you can picture, uh, if, if you will, um, the Mediterranean Sea, and, and uh, you've got, you know, up, up here, I guess it'd be, yeah, up here for you guys. So that's actually for me, so it'd be over here for you. Italy, and, and then all the, way, all the way over here, you got this whole thing, the Mediterranean Sea. This whole landscape across here was the Roman Empire. It was huge. It went all the way down into Africa, way over to past the top of Africa, up through Israel, all the way back over to Mesopotamia, all the way up through Turkey, modern-day Turkey, went over into Italy and Rome, of course, because that's where Rome was, and passed there, and it was huge. And by 351 A.D., with all the attempts to squash Christianity, 51% of the Roman Empire was Christian. Now, some people would say it was because uh, Constantine made everyone be Christian, but I believe the history would teach a different thing. I think what Constantine realized as a leader is that his people in his kingdom were becoming Christians, and so he jumped on board because he, he, he knew that if he didn't get on board with what was going on, he might just get a knife in the shower. Thank you so much. You know, because that's what happened to the Roman and Greek leaders, right? Et tu, Brutus? And so I think he just jumped on board and became a Christian and then began to uh, promote that so that he could actually stay in power. 
And so 351, 51% of the Roman Empire was Christian. How'd this happen? I want to take a brief look this morning of where we're at now in Acts chapter 13 of the spread of the gospel. Oh, thank you, Josh. You also brought this. Oh, that is really cold. (laughs) Praise God. So... Um, we're going to start off in the very beginning of the spread of Christianity, which starts obviously in a little place called Bethlehem. And no, it's not Christmas. How can we only think about Bethlehem during Christmas? Is that working? It's working. Okay. There we go. It starts with one little dot in Bethlehem. Can you see that dot, some of you? If not, oh well. <laughs> Sorry, I can't make it any bigger. Right below Jerusalem is a little dot. Jesus walked, al- wa- walked along and he called 12 disciples. See? 12 little disciples. And for three years he walked with his disciples. Now I'm not going to talk about all the places he went into Samaria and Galilee. I'm going to focus on after his crucifixion when people truly began to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Because salvation comes because of Jesus' death. Jesus was preparing the people as he walked around for salvation. But until he died for their sins, there was no salvation ready. See, because without the death of Christ, there is no, no um, we don't die to sin and there is no resurrection. So he calls his 12 disciples. Book of Acts, chapter 2, after the resurrection of, of Jesus. Technology. This is amazing. I need to. After, after the re- resurrection of Jesus, he said to, to his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem till they were endued with power. Remember Acts chapter 2. And the Peter preached the full, first full uh, Holy Ghost full message, and 3,000 people were saved. Actually, that's 120. That's the 120 that was in the upper room. They, they were followers of Christ. They're in the upper room. Peter preaches the message and 3,000 people get saved. This is the area that I was kind of referring to. This whole thing that you see was under the Roman Empire as well as way out here in Africa and way further out in the Mediterranean. Um, this was the Roman Empire. But this is the area that we're focusing on in the book of Acts. And the gospel begins to spread out from Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. From different nations, the gospel begins to be exported outside of Jerusalem. And it was really, really exciting. In Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 11, it tells us some of the countries there. And this is a really small map, and there's a lot of little tiny dots for those in the back. Sorry. Okay, but uh, if, if you look over here, you've got Parthia, Media, and Elam to the right. You have Phrygia, Pontus, some of these up in the Asia. Down here is, is Africa. And so little dots are going to begin to fly out as we find out some of these areas. Now think, this is the beginning of the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says that the, the, the church started in, that, in Jerusalem. From there, it went all the way out to Parthia and Media, to Elam, Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, way up north, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. See, is that working? Look at all those. Okay. All right. It went to Phrygia and Pamphylia. Then it goes down south to Egypt. Look at that. Look at that. They're going to Egypt. 
went over to Libya. This is the gospel spreading in the first half a dozen years after Christ. It's going all over. I think looking at the map is like, wow, this is impressive. It goes all the way over to Cyrene, and it already was there in Cyrene, I believe, getting ready because Simon's of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Jesus, was from Cyrene. And we're going to find out some other people in just a, in a few minutes who are from Cyrene. It went out all the way to visitors of Rome. Look at how far the gospel went. On the day of Pentecost, these people were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's exciting. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to skip a few chapters, the, the gospel officially goes to Samaria, which if in your, in your mind, the dot just didn't move very far. This is how Pastor Jeff always taught it, and I've never forgot it. You have Judea in the south, you have Galilee in the north, and in between those is Samaria. There's Samaria in between Judea and Galilee. Samaria. Anyways, you'll never forget it, though. You'll never. Some of you are just going, Samaria. Oh, Samaria. If you fall behind, raise your hand. Okay, so um, at the end of Acts chapter 8, Philip, the, the apostle, he's, he's preaching, and he comes alongside the chariot, and the guy was from? Oh, that was Samaria. Here goes, way down. That's not Ethiopia. Ethiopia is further. He talks to the Ethiopian eunuch, and now the gospel is way down, halfway down um, Africa on the west coast, and it's exciting. The gospel is expanding. Acts chapter 9, the gospel goes to Damascus, where Christian-hating Saul is confronted by the living Christ on the road to Damascus, um, and he becomes a follower of the way. Saul has introduced the apostles in Jerusalem, and they don't like it because he's stirring up problems, so they actually send him away to Tarsus. Tarsus is up north, and there it goes. You follow the little line. So now the gospel is going out even further again, and it's in Tarsus where he stays for a time. Peter begins to preach the gospel in close places close, and we, we believe the gospel was already there, but this is where it's telling us that he was there to visit the disciples in a place called Lydda, and that's where um, he heals a paralytic. He goes over to Joppa, and he raises somebody from the dead. He uh, preaches to Cornelius in Caesarea, on, on the computer, all these black dots are turning red and it looks like it has measles, which is really good because that's what we want. We want infection. We want the gospel to be infectious to where people catch it. And so that's why I like red. Um, for most of you, it kind of looks like black. Sorry, it's not the best of projectors. Um, and then, uh, so that's Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11 that says that some of the disciples went to Cyprus again. Cyprus was already there. Uh, they went to the area up to the north called Phoenicia and then to Antioch. Those, those all get there? There it is. Cool. Look at that. Now, I believe the gospel's already in all of these other places on the way up. It's been preached. Antioch is really important because Antioch becomes the, the new center of the church. For those of you who, who think that Jerusalem stayed the center of the church, it did not. About this time, we're in Acts chapter 13. The new center of the church is Antioch. In fact, a couple chapters ago, it said that all of the people left Jerusalem except the apostles. So the gospel is being exported, and it's honestly being exported to many more cities and areas than this. These are just the things being talked about in the book of Acts. More water. <laughs> is 
it's not all history, but I want to give us some, some history lessons in here. So after they're in Antioch, Barnabas, who we learned about, he is, um, he is the uh, son of encouragement. Um, he goes to find Saul in Tarsus, and he returns to Antioch, which is the new center for the growing church. And Barnabas and Saul take a gift to Jerusalem. Uh, in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 12, we just heard about on that little video, Herod is killing the apostle James by the sword and he imprisons Peter. So things are happening, the church is being persecuted and yet it's growing. At the end of chapter 12, Barnabas and Saul return to Antioch bringing with them John Mark and that's where we're picking up this morning in the book of Acts chapter 13. <sighs> now in this book, we're going to put a few more dots on the screen. Because the next two chapters of Acts is be the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. And we're going to talk quickly through them. So uh, we're going to read from the Bible. And um, uh, Acts chapter 13, let me read it. Acts chapter 13, 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. I want to talk a little bit about the church in Antioch. It's a church that I want to be like because it's the center of the church and they have a passion for community. They have a passion for the lost um, and to spread the gospel. And, and, and they're a very diverse church. And, you know, and, and so that's one thing is sad in Big Bear. There's not a, as much diversity. I want to see more diversity in the church because that's what the gospel is about, is about di diversity. Um, young and old, different races coming together. And, you know, I do love it on, on, on Sundays, even in, in this small Big Bear. We'll have a few weeks. We have, we've had people from El Salvador and, uh, and Peru and, and different, you know, different parts of the states. And so, but we want to be a church that reaches out to all types of people and reaches out with the gospel. And that's what was happening in the, uh, in the church at Antioch. Now, let me talk about some of these people that, that even proves this in the first five names that are mentioned. And these are the leaders of the church. Barnabas was uh, this good man. He was a son of encouragement. His name was Joseph, and the apostles gave him a new name. You know you're in when the apostles give you a new name, apparently. So they said, Joseph, we don't want to call you Barnabas. You're a son of encouragement. And so, but that was because he was hanging out, and he loved God, and he had a piece of property, and he sold it, and he brought the gifts. He sacrificed to see the kingdom of God expanded. He sold a field, and he brought it to them. And, um, and then you see him always going and, and encouraging. He's the one who brought Paul to the disciples because he didn't want Paul to be disenfranchised. Let's talk about Saul one of these other guys on the list. Saul is the opposite of Barnabas. He's not encouraging people. Saul is killing Christians. He's kicking in doors, arresting men and women in the early church, probably people that Barnabas knew because he was from the church in Jerusalem. That's where, where Pete, Paul was, Saul was doing this. Saul, his whole life was, was at tearing down the church and Barnabas is about bringing it up and now they're together serving God and they're about to go on mission together. That's a miracle when God does something like that in people's heart. Simeon, who's called Niger, Niger means black. It's very simple. Every commentator believes that Simon was a black man. 
So we have, and it's probably from Africa. Then we have uh, Lucius from Cyrene, which again is North Africa, way down past Egypt. And then we have a guy named Manaean, we'll just call him Manny. And Manny was raised with Herod the Tetrarch. And, and it would, the word that when they say raised with, some of you might even say brother or brother-in-law, he was like a foster brother being raised up together with Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, the guy who had beheaded John the Baptist. This guy was sick. The whole Herodian line, they were all sick. Remember, the Herod the Great was the one who had all the, all the kids killed. And so Herod Antipas was his son, and he was raised with him in, in all of these things. We believe that some of the information we have about Herod and some of the things that were happening in the inner circles um, in the Bible, some of the knowledge that even Luke has was because of Manny. Because Manny had connections still with the family line of Herod. Herod was, a, Herod was such, a, such a, a bad guy. He married his brother-in-law's wife and then had... Uh, this woman had Herodias was her name had her daughter dance for Herod and Herod liked it so much it turned him on so much that his daughter-in-law turned him on so much that he says I'll give you anything even up to half of the kingdom and what did she ask for give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter okay these are sick people my daughter wanted an iPod for her birthday okay Give me the head of John the Baptist. So this is, and Manny grew up with this guy, but now he's saved. So I'm getting a picture. This is a wonderful picture of the church. And we look around today, and uh, you know, on any given Sunday, you go, the people sitting next to you, if you only knew their story, you might sit somewhere else, <laughs> right? Because God has called us out from some different backgrounds, um, and so this is what, what's happening in Antioch. Not only that, another part of the church of Antioch that I love is that they've got Saul and Barnabas. And they are amazing people and they're zealous. And you know that the letters of Paul um, is what's really converted half of, the, half of the world at the time. And so these guys are amazing. So they're, they're praying and they're fasting and they're listening to God. How do I know they're listening? Because it says that the Holy Spirit says to them, set apart Saul and Barnabas. They must have been listening and then they're obedient and they take two of their best and they send them away. That's sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sometimes churches sacrifice when they plant churches, when they send missionaries out, when they release people to go and start another work. Over the years, we have sowed into this local community. We sowed um, 30 or so percent of this church uh, some 20 years ago and planted uh, Christian Faith Center with Pastor John Dunn and we bless them and they've been, they've been serving the Lord at the other side of the valley. Seven years ago Pastor Mike went and, and the church blessed him and he's pastoring the Four Square Church. Things like that they hurt uh, when there's ever a sacrifice but the gospel is calling us to sometimes sacrifice and that's what the church at Antioch was doing and I want to be a church like that. And so they begin um, to, to send out Barnabas and Saul. I went way off my notes, so I need to come back here. For the work to which I have called them, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. And here we go back to the little red dots and the gospel officially goes to the island of Cyprus. Now, now we had Christians, did it go there? 
little island, I don't know. Um, went to the, the island of Cyprus, and they begin to preach in Salamis, the whole island of Paphos. We'll go really quick, so we'll just send up the, they go to, let me see if this was working. From, there it goes. Now it's going to Cyprus. Paphos. Now, now they come up north. They go across the water. Whenever you're reading these, it's kind of good. It's like they're taking a boat, like, you know, 100 miles across the ocean preaching. And they're going up to Pamphylia and to Perga, which is up a little bit further. Um, they go to Pisidian Antioch. And here Paul is invited to share a word. So his reputation is going. He goes to the Jewish synagogue. And they, after the, the reading of the, the Law and the Prophets, they ask Paul, hey, do you have anything to share? I hope this happens to you. I hope you go somewhere where they, you have a reputation. Maybe it's to a business meeting or something else. And they say, hey, do you have anything to share? And you can stand up and do what Paul did and begin to preach the gospel. Hey, yeah, I wanted to share about something that happened in my life some time ago where God changed my life. Oh, I don't know if I wanted you to talk about that story, but too late. And, and that we'll just use our influence to share the gospel. So Paul, um, in this, he, he connects the Old Testament to the New Testament, the prophets and the law and the prophets um, to Jesus of Nazareth, and he warns them, take care that this does not happen to you what happened to the prophets. So anyways, they're, they're, they're at this other church called Antioch. The reason there's a lot of places called Antioch is because there was Antiochus, a, a leader, and, and they would name towns after him. So if you're ever looking at Bible maps and you see all the same names all around, it's because they're trying to honor you know, rulers. If you go to any, any Latin American country, there's um, Santa Maria, day everything. Santa Maria de Jesus, Santa Maria de this, and they have all the saints' names in all their towns, and it's really confusing. Same thing's happening in the Middle East. Okay. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm having too much fun, and you're like, this is really boring, Pastor Rob. So let's... <laughs> So we're going to go, they're, they're preaching, they're, they're teaching at each Jewish synagogue, and they keep going to all the different places, um, and then we're just going to kind of put some, some, some stars up here, let's find out where they're going. So they're going to Lystra and Derby. then they go back to Italia down at the very tip of, of where it says Pamphylia there, and they finally go back to Antioch, and they stay at Antioch, see we're actually done. They stay in Antioch after they go through the time, now I, I do want to go back a little bit because when they're preaching at some of these northern places up here, they would preach and some people would like the message, but the Jew, there's always a group of Jews who didn't. And so every time the Jews would rise up and kick them out of town. One time here in, in, uh, in uh, Lystra, they got so riled up that they dragged Paul out of town and Paul got stoned. Not that kind, the other kind. Okay, they stoned him and they thought he was dead. This is not picking up a rock at someone and saying, go away, we don't want you here. This is picking up rocks and beating them, throwing them until they thought he was dead. Have you ever seen somebody beaten so much that, that you thought he was dead? I have. It's horrible. To think that someone is dead, they really stoned him. So what did he do? He got back up went back into town and then he went to Derby, preached the gospel there and when he was done preaching the gospel there he went back to Lystra where they tried to kill him, encouraged the disciples there back up into Antioch and Pisidia that also kicked him out and he went back to all the churches that kicked him out in the first place and he encouraged them and found the disciples, those who called on him and, and, and he encouraged them. Then they went all the way back to Antioch and they stayed there for some time. We are at the end of chapter 14. 
and we just did two chapters. Now, there's a message in here, so we're going to get that to the message. But we just went to all the places um, through chapters 13 and 14 to the missionary journey. Next week, we'll be in chapter 15. And they stay in Antioch there with the disciples. But what, what was happening here? The spread of the gospel is so important. It's important because people need to hear. It's so important, church, that we don't get so comfortable coming to church. And, and it, it's feeling cold. Is anyone else cold? Okay. We can check the heat. It feels like that something came on. I didn't know. I, I thought I was having a fever again and getting cold. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing people doing this. So thanks, Josh. Um, that we don't get so comfortable and just come to church and go to our life groups. You know, we, we call them life groups. So I want to tell you, they're not supposed to be city for just navel gazers where we just sit and look at each other all the time. It's, it's not just to be where we feel really good and comfortable. Part of the life groups are also supposed to be reaching out to our friends, to our neighbors, to the lost, praying for them to be growing in our faith. That's what the church is for also, is to build each other up, but also it's a place where we, we know that people will still come in because they're curious, they're hurting, they're lost, and the church needs to continue to expand, and it's important that individually individually that we don't get comfortable, but we know that it's important to share the gospel because whether it sounds politically correct or not, and you love the PC thing, without Christ, people are lost in their sin and they're going to go to hell. That's what we believe. And we didn't make it up. If I made up a religion, I'd probably make it up differently. You would too. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to die for our sins because we were separated from him. And so it's important that people hear. It's also urgent because the times are getting darker and the time is getting shorter and no man knows the end. And so it, we're, we have an urgency to share the gospel. And, and they did too. Um, they actually did believe that the end of times was coming soon and so they wanted to spread the gospel and be obedient because Jesus commanded his disciples to go into all the world. When you're reading the Bible, if you're reading the New Testament, all the world is pretty much this. It was the Roman Empire. All the world, and so they, they do that. Um, so it's important, it's urgent, and it takes a sacrifice, and it's difficult. What we see in these, in these times with Paul, and I want to hone in on just a couple of, of things in, in like the next th five minutes here, um, is that when he would go to certain areas, he was facing religiosity. They were Jews. They were set in their ways, and he was bringing something different than what they, had, they were believing, and they didn't want to receive it. Today, when we go out, we find religious people. They're even religious atheists, religious in the sense that they're stuck in their ways, and they're just doing the same thing over and over again, and it has become a ritual, religious in that sense, ritualistic, religious. Um, the, the, the term religious, we're not even defining it right, but I know that a lot of us use that term of being, oh, that's just religion, which is kind of ritualistic-like. And, and so they were coming in and saying, you can't change things, and so they were being persecuted. The same thing happens to us when you go and say, Jesus Christ is the only way. People say, no, I believe there's many ways, many ways to heaven. What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. And if you think about that logic, it's ludicrous. If I want to go to Newport Beach and, and they say, well, I want to go west, 
and they say, well, that's good for you. I'm going to go to Newport Beach by going east. But what do we say? Okay, that's good for you. If it makes you happy to think that you're going to Newport Beach, then just keep going east. And so we, we shake things up. And so that's what he was coming across, uh, people who were stuck and not wanting the truth. There's a question that I ask when I'm witnessing and sharing my faith with somebody who, who maybe has a different belief system and they're seeming a little stuck. And I say, can I just ask you, last one, last question. If what you believe, if one in a million chance that what you believe today is not true, would you want to know the truth? If what you believe, and I'm saying, you, know, pro- you know, one in a million, their answer has to be yes because everyone wants to know the truth. And then I simply say, I really challenge you to just say, God, whoever, whatever, if you are there, reveal yourself to me. I'm going to pray the same prayer for you for 30 days. And I believe he'll do that. He'll reveal his true self to you. See, we've got to get people to be open to saying, wow, what if I'm wrong? Hey, if I'm wrong, I've been cha- spending my life d- doing crazy things like living in third world countries and, you know, having my life threatened and stuff. I mean, I, I was, you know, at the age of 18, I managed a hotel. By the age of 23, I owned my own business. I, was, I probably could have been successful in the business, in the business realm, but I chose to follow Christ. And so... I, if if there this this church and this hope the Bible says if this there's hope only in this world, then we are above all most pitiable. But there is eternal life that there's this is hangs in the balance, so it's important. So we go and we come against people's religion, we come against people's other beliefs, we come against Christians in chapter thirteen verse six, and this is going to be kind of my last little thing, and then we're going to close. Um, It said they got, went through the island of Paphos. Now remember, there's a lot of synagogues throughout this area. It's Roman control, but the, the Jews were, had been in the dispersion. They were all over, and there was little synagogues throughout the area. They arrived in Salamis. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Okay, um, uh, verse 6, there we go. There was a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Um, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. You know, remember, Paul's a Jew. Barnabas is a a Hellenistic Jew. So they can go to the synagogues and they can read, they can be part of the reading of the scriptures. But Paul has found, Saul has found the Messiah. So he believes in, in, in the God of the Old Testament, which is preached in the synagogue, but he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. So now he's in a synagogue where they believe the Old Testament, but they don't believe in Jesus. And he's says hey you've got something a little bit different come and speak to me but there was a prophet there his name was bar jesus i said this a few weeks ago for for us scholars the word bar means son of bar jesus means son of jesus now jesus is actually a common name that's the greek interpretation of it's actually yeshua bar yeshua son of yeshua but i want to really focus in on bar jesus he was a prophet He's a false prophet. He's, he's not a Notre Dame prophet. He, a prophet means that he proclaims the word of God. But if he's a false prophet, he's proclaiming a false truth, a false doctrine. Exactly. So we have son of Jesus 
proclaiming a false doctrine. Today in the church, there are many sons of Jesus, those who would call themselves of Jesus, who are proclaiming a false gospel. It's not the truth. They say it's Christianity, but it lacks power. It lacks um, repentance. It lacks uh, talking about sin. It all focuses on the now instead of the the ideas of sin. When we are preaching the gospel, we need to understand we're going to come against Christians, bar Jesuses, who aren't preaching the truth, who don't believe the truth. They may have never even read the Bible. And it's going to be hard because you're going to preach the gospel to people that you know, that you love, that you care for, that have what the Bible calls a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And the power is not just in miracles. The power is to actually set people free from sin because that's what the gospel does. It comes in and brings us hope of life. It comes in and brings us hope that we can get out of our sin, of our addiction, out of the fears and the things that we talked about a few weeks ago in our mind, and it gives us a way to wash ourselves and be set free. We, don't, we will come against bar Jesuses, those who call themselves Christians those who preach another gospel. But church, we need to know the truth. We need to be people of the word who know, rightly divide the word of truth. Get in there and understand what the Bible says about sin and death and repentance and forgiveness so that when we preach the gospel, we're not just preaching a mamby-pamby thing of just go to church and give your money and love God and that's enough. I tell you, there's a lot of people who do those things in other religions and in the church, but there's we have to preach the thing the gospel that also says if you believe in your heart confess with your mouth repent of your sins that Jesus Christ is Lord you'll be saved it takes belief and repentance and then turning to God in all that we are in following him the gospel needs to be preached and it is not going to stop it's got power to keep going the message is, is, is a challenging message to us. I want to be a church who preaches the word of God in its entirety. And we don't want to hold anything back because that the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God, is what needs to be preached. And we are going to continue to reach out and we're going to love the lost because God so loved the world. We're not going to keep ourselves sheltered in here and look at other people and say, they don't have the right truth. They're lost. They're sinners. We're going to go out and love them until they come to Jesus. We're going to find their doors. We'll kick them in if we have to and say, we want you to come to Jesus. Don't let anything keep us away from them. Not fear nor anything else. The world needs Jesus. Let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus to die for our sin. And you sent the Holy Spirit to live in us in power. God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us a heart for the lost. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see their pain, ears to hear their story, a heart to respond. Lord Jesus, we need to reach the lost. God, we thank you that the word says that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, we thank you for your heart for the lost. Now we pray that you would give us
a heart for the lost. Give us courage to preach the gospel to all who will listen. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.